So uh, there was a man and his wife who were expecting their first child together. And the man became paralyzed. And he wanted his child to know what a wonderful mother he or she was going to have. And so this man, he wrote a letter to his unborn child. I'd like to read it to you. This is what he wrote. He said, your mother is very special. Few men know what it's like to receive appreciation for taking their wives out to dinner when it entails what it does for us. When we go out to dinner, it means that she has to dress me, shave me, brush my teeth, comb my hair, wheel me out of the house and down the steps, open the garage, put me in the car, take the pedals off the chair, stand me up, sit me down, spin me around so that I'm comfortable, fold the wheelchair, put it in the car, go around to the other side of the car and start it up, back out of the garage, get out of the car, pull the garage door down. Then she gets back into the car and drives off to the restaurant. When we arrive at the restaurant, it starts all over again. She gets out of the car, unfolds the wheelchair. She opens the door, spins me around, stands me up, seats me in the wheelchair, pushes the pedals out, closes and locks the car, and wheels me into the restaurant. When we get to the table, she takes the pedals off the wheelchair so I won't be uncomfortable. We sit down to have dinner, and she helps feed me throughout the entire meal. When it's over, she pays the bill. She pushes the wheelchair out to the car again and reverses the whole process. And when it's all over, when it's finished, with real warmth, she'll look at me and say, Honey, thank you for taking me out to dinner today. He said, I never quite know what to say. That's a picture of love, isn't it? It's clear that a woman loves her husband. From the things that she did, to her attitude, to the words that she spoke, he didn't have to question her love. And you know what? No one who saw them would question it either, because it was obvious. You know, Christians, our love for God in our lives should be obvious. Last week, if you were with us, we talked about how much God loves us. We talked about how God loves us more, more than we could ever imagine. More than we can love one another, more than we can love Him, God's love is without equal. And here's the thing, for those of us who have received His love by stepping into the forgiveness and salvation that He offers, the question is, do we love Him? Do we love God? Now, please don't be offended when I ask that. Because the truth is, it would be wise for all of us believers to often look within ourselves and ask from time to time whether or not we truly love God. Because we can say that we love Him in our prayers, we can say it to other people, but is it true in our lives? You see, if it is, it's going to be obvious that we love Him. It's going to be obvious to us and others. Love for God isn't something that we're going to keep secret in our hearts. Rather, it's a love that's going to pour out of our hearts. Sadly, some Christians get so caught up in this world and in sin and in themselves that they lose that love they once had for God. In fact, those individuals might even do some good Christian-y things, but they do it without true love for the Lord. And maybe, maybe that's where some of us are at today. 
We have a general love for God, but we can't say that we truly love Him, and we know that we can't say that because our lives don't prove that love. And if that is true for any of us, I pray that the Lord would open our eyes to that so that today we would return to the first love of our redeemed souls, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Do we love Him, and how can we know? Let's turn to 1 John chapter 5 together to see some of the evidences of our love for God. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and turn there with me. 1 John chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible with you, as always, I'd encourage you to use one of those Bibles here in the sanctuary. If you'd like to use one of those, you can turn to page 988. Page 988. 1 John chapter 5. We're going to begin in verse 1. John writes this. 1 John 5, verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. Just keep your place right there. So how do we become children of God? Well, by believing in Jesus. All right, That's the gospel truth. How do we act as children of God? Is the next thing that we need to see. How do we act as children of God? By loving God. And the first proof John gives of our love for God is that we love his children. That we love each other, Christians. So here John goes again, right? Telling us to love each other. You know, why do you think it is that, that John tells us to love one another again and again and again? I was thinking about that this week. And I started to think to myself, maybe, maybe it's because we, we struggle so much with this. We struggle with loving one another. Because as Christians, we do fail to love one another at times. We struggle and we fail in that area when we gossip about each other. When we ignore one another. When we lie to each other. When we withhold forgiveness from one another. So we need this constant reminder in Scripture that we are supposed to love our brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. We're supposed to love the family of God. About a decade ago, there was this young girl, her name is Anaya Rucker. And Anaya Rucker was walking to school with her little sister one rainy day. And a little bit into their walk, as they began to cross the street, a truck came around the corner, speeding down the road, and didn't see the girls because of the wet condition. Anaya acted quickly and pushed her sister out of the way, saved her sister's life. But in the process, the truck ran right into Anaya. Now, miraculously, she survived. But she lost a leg and a kidney as a result of the accident. Later, after she had recovered, Somebody asked her what made her do something so brave for her sister. And this is what Anaya said. She said, well, I love her more than anything. I mean, Anaya loved her sister, and because of that, her actions were basic instinct, right? And for the most part, that probably doesn't surprise any of us. We almost, well, we almost expect that siblings and families would look out for each other. Right, that they would love one another. It's in their nature to do so. And believers, here's the thing. It should be our instinct, it should be in our nature to look out for and love our family in Jesus Christ. That should be basic instinct for us. We need to remember that. 
but it's more than a reminder that we have here from John. And loving each other is more than just a command. It's also, well, it's also evidence, believer. It's evidence of our love for God. And so John says this in verse 2. He says, this is how we know that we love the children of God. By loving God and carrying out His commands. By loving God and carrying out His commands. In other words, if you love God, you're going to love His people. If you love His people, you're going to follow God's instructions in how we're supposed to treat His people. Alright? That's, that's that we're going to be kind and compassionate and forgiving towards one another, as Scripture says. That we're going to bear one another's burdens. That we're going to serve one another. We're going to encourage each other. We're going to pray for one another. On and on the list goes. And the point is this. God tells us how we love each other. He tells us what that's supposed to look like. We don't have to guess what that means. Now please know I'm not saying that loving each other is always going to be easy. If it was easy, we wouldn't need to be constantly reminded of it. It was easy, we wouldn't need to be told how to do it. But here's the thing when we're deeply in love with God, it will be our heart's desire to show love to the people of God. If we truly love God, we're going to want to love on God's people. So, believers, do we, do we love God? Can we say that in our lives? We need to start by asking ourselves do I love God's people? And if so, where's the proof? I mentioned at the beginning of this series that we're going through in the letters of John, I mentioned at the beginning that in his later years, John became known as the Apostle of Love. In fact, uh, many early church leaders, uh, among them Eusebius and Jerome, they wrote about how in those later years, John's constant message, I mean, he's just always saying to the Christians, he was always saying, children, love one another. Here was the elderly John saying, children, love one another. In fact, as one story goes, the Apostle John said this at a gathering of Christians. And they asked him to speak, and he said, children, love one another. And all the believers there, they had heard the Apostle say this countless times, and they finally just asked him, why? Why, John? Why? Why do you always say that? And he told them. He said, it's because if you learn to love each other, well, then you're going to learn to follow God's other commands too. In fact, all this leads to the second proof that John gives of our love for God, which is that we obey God's commands. Look at verse 3. He says, in fact, this is love for God, to keep His commands. And his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So what we, what we started to see in the first couple of verses, John makes very clear here. If you want to love God, then you need to obey him. Obey His commands. You know, sometimes when we think about obedience to God's commands, perhaps in some of our minds that thought comes that, oh, what a chore. 
I've got to go obey all these things that God has told me to do. But John says, no. He says, these, these aren't a chore. John says, no, for the believer, God's commands aren't, aren't burdensome. In other words, they don't, they don't weigh us down. They're not a heavy thing. Remember, believer, that in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus said that when we follow him, we'll find that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Yeah, the Lord puts his commands on his people, but when we love God, we won't see them as a chore. We won't see them as a burden. We won't see them as something heavy that we have to carry. No, instead, we'll start to see God's commands the way the author of Psalm 119 did. If you've never read Psalm 119, it's not short, but I would encourage you to go home and read it this week. It is a, it's a beautiful psalm. But I want you to consider, this is how the psalmist described his view of God's commands throughout the psalm. He said in Psalm 119, verse 54, that God's commands are the theme of his song. In verse 74, he said that God's commands are more precious to him than silver and gold. In verse 92, he said that God's commands were his delight. And in verse 97, he said that he loves God's law. Believers, do we love God's law? Is it precious to us? Do we delight in His commands? Do those commands from God lead to our singing? Or do they lead to our sighing? To us groaning, rolling our eyes, to begrudging obedience? How do we see God's commands, believers? A pastor once wrote this. He said that an unsaved person considers the Bible an impossible book. And an immature Christian considers the demands of the Bible to be burdensome. You see, it's the mature Christian who loves God. That's the Christian who finds that well, there's, there's joy in obedience. And, and that happens when our obedience comes from a love for God. That's when obedience is something sweet to our hearts. That's when obedience becomes something that we want to do, not something that we have to do. That's when obedience becomes our song, when it becomes our delight, just like the psalmist. There's a great example of this in Genesis chapter 29. In Genesis chapter 29, that's where we find part of the story of Jacob. And Jacob, he fell head over heels for this woman named Rachel. Now, he was in love with Rachel. So Jacob went to Rachel's father, Laban, and asked permission to marry his daughter. Jacob loved Rachel so much, this is what he said to Laban. He said, I'll work for you seven years to marry your daughter. <laughs> Laban said, okay, you work for me for seven years to marry my daughter. Listen to what it said in Genesis 29. It said, So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. See, fulfilling the demands of Laban, that was a joy to Jacob. Why? Because his heart was set on Rachel. He loved her. Believers, fulfilling the commands of our Heavenly Father 
should be a joy to us. And that will be a joy when our hearts are set on God because we love Him. So we're supposed to obey God's commands, and we will if we love Him. And then John says, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. I tell you what, we face a lot of difficulty in this evil world, don't we, believer? We face trials, persecution, temptation, including the temptation to withhold love from each other and from God. And sometimes we fall short. But praise God that in the end, we are overcomers. We're victors. We are conquerors in Christ Jesus. You see, the truth that we find in Scripture is that Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ already overcame the world, John 16 tells us. And as His people, now we're overcomers too. This is why the Bible says that as God's children, we don't live in fear of death. That's what Hebrews chapter 2 tells us. Tells us that when we resist the devil, that the devil will flee from us. In fact, the devil tells us that our enemy, the devil, will be defeated in Matthew chapter 25. John already said in 1 John chapter 2 that we have overcome the evil one. And as Romans 16.20 promises, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. You see, if you are in Christ, then you're an overcomer. You are a victor. You're already on the winning team, believer. I don't know about you, but I like that. When I first started playing basketball, I was on some not-so-great teams because I was a not-so-great player. In fact, my earliest memory of basketball was that in fifth grade, we lost one of our games 98-14. to I remember being on a travel team that was once losing and playing so badly in a game that our coach called a timeout and made us run sprints in front of the other team in the middle of the game. I played on some losing teams. But I was also blessed to play on some winning teams. You want to know what I learned? I like being on the winning team. (laughs) And believers, we already are. We're already victors in Jesus Christ. No matter what the world, no matter what Satan does to us. We're already on the winning team. Now, here's the thing. If we have overcome the world system that's against us, and the kingdom of the enemy, and this world of false teachers that John's been warning of us of, if we've overcome those who are against us, can we not much more easily find success in God's commands which are for us? See, God's commands are for our good, believer, Not only that, but just as God gives us strength to overcome temptation, He's also going to strengthen us to obey Him. And when we love God, we will obey Him. And we'll obey Him with joy, church. John says, who is it that overcomes the world? Who is it that overcomes the world? Who's set free from sin? Who's set free from bondage to fear in the realm of the evil one? Only those who believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The same ones who love and obey God and who love the people of God are the ones who believe in the Son of God. What makes us overcomers? Our faith in Jesus Christ. And it's there, it's there that I want us to consider a third proof of our love for God, which is that we believe in Him. 
And why is it that we believe in him? Look what John says next. Look at verse 6. Why is it that we believe in the Son of God? Verse 6, John says this. He says, this is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And the three are in agreement. We accept human testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it's the testimony of God, which He has given about His Son. Let's stop right there. What is John talking about? Look, believers, we, we love God. We love God as His people. One of the reasons that we know we love God is because we believe in Him, because of our steadfast belief and faith in Him. But why? Why do we believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Well, one reason is because of the many testimonies, the many evidences of who He is. Not just the testimony of Jesus Himself, not just the Lord's own testimony, now, we also have the water, the blood, and the Spirit. See, some of the testimony about Jesus and that He is the Son of God includes the water. That is the baptism of the Lord. In fact, listen to Matthew chapter 3, beginning verse 16. What happened on that day when Jesus was baptized? He came out of the water, and Matthew 3.16 says that at that moment, heaven was opened, and He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. So, Jesus was baptized. The Holy Spirit descended. And God the Father spoke from heaven about him. That's, that's pretty good evidence about who Jesus is. But that's not all. Then there's the blood. Now, when John talks about the blood, John's talking about when Jesus shed his blood on the cross. You see, during the Lord's crucifixion, there was a lot of divine evidence pointing to who he is. As Jesus was crucified, Matthew 27 tells us that a supernatural darkness from God covered the land. I want to read for you from Matthew 27, which describes for us what happened next as Jesus died. Beginning in verse 51 of that chapter, it says this. It says, At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion was with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake, all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely He was the Son of God. Countless people witnessed these things that day as Jesus shed His blood on the cross. Even the hardened Roman centurion saw the truth. Now we need to keep in mind, by the way, that John has been writing to the believers about false teachers. As I mentioned in recent weeks, in John's day, there was this heresy beginning that would later become known as Gnosticism. 
And one of the things that some Gnostics taught was that the Messiah descended on the man Jesus at his baptism and then left Jesus before his death on the cross. That's what some of the Gnostics taught. Well, John says, no. No, Just as the Lord's baptism is a testimony of his deity, so is his death. And not only these, he says, then there's the Spirit. Well, the Holy Spirit is part of the Lord's entire ministry. Perhaps one of the greatest ways this is seen as you read through the Gospels is through the countless miracles that Jesus did. In fact, when the Lord's enemies tried to attribute Jesus' miracles to the devil, Jesus said what they were doing was blaspheming against the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said in John chapter 5 that these miracles he was doing testified that he did, in fact, come from the Father. So when Jesus healed the lame and the leper, the blind, the deaf, the mute, when he raised the dead to life, when he calmed the sea, when he fed the thousands, these things testified that he was no mere man. He's the Son of God. And the Spirit continues today to testify about the Lord in the world. And all of this is just the start of the testimony about Jesus Christ. There are a lot of other evidences to who he is, like the resurrection of Jesus and the many people who were witnesses of it, the countless Old Testament prophecies that Jesus fulfilled, or how the prophet John the Baptist pointed to Jesus and said to the people hearing him, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Or how after Palm Sunday, when Jesus triumphantly rode into Jerusalem, before he was condemned to death by the crowds, John chapter 12 tells us that between Palm Sunday and those trials of Jesus, that there was a moment where the Father spoke from heaven and the crowd heard the voice of the Father. In other words, the evidence is immense. John just says, hey, let's stick with these three, the water, the blood, and the Spirit. But you know what's interesting? People will accept the testimony of other humans, but they don't want to accept the testimony of God. God's testimony is greater. Because God is greater. Because God is always true. And because His testimony comes with power. But the truth is not everybody believes it. Now to those who do believe, John writes this in verse 10. He says, whoever believes in the Son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because they have not believed the testimony God has given about His Son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Those who believe in Jesus, including those of us here today, who believe in Jesus, the Son of God and the Savior of our souls, we believe in this testimony. We didn't see the works of the Lord, those miracles He did. We didn't hear the Father's voice at the Lord's baptism. We didn't witness what happened at the cross, but we believe these things are true. To reject them is to reject God's word. <clears throat> it's to call God a liar. But as the result of our faith, God has given us eternal life. That's his gift. It comes from his son, and it comes to all who have him. To have the son 
is to have all the things that the Son offers, including eternal life. But John reminds us that if you do not have the Son, you don't have that life. And here's the thing, church. This world mocks our faith. They call us bigots, call us ignorant. They reject all the testimony of the Father, all these evidences that He's given. Yet those of us who have the Son and hold fast our faith in Him, despite what the world calls us, who stand firm in our belief despite what the world says and does, as we stand firm in that faith, by doing so we demonstrate our love for Him. Earlier in the letter, John said, we love because He first loved us. We continue to show that love to our God and Father by holding fast our faith, even in a world that rejects Him and rejects all the evidence for Him. Believers, we know that God loves us. The question is, do we love God? It's good that we say that we do, and we should be unashamed about saying so, but we need to demonstrate that we do. Don't love God simply in words, but in actions. We demonstrate our love for God by loving His people. Go out of your way to love the family in Christ. Ask someone today how you can pray for them, how you can help them. Go out of your way to be an encouragement to one another, to pray for one another, comfort the believer that you know is hurting. Love the family in Christ before you leave today. Praise the Lord, this is a day where we have a potluck, a time we're going to fellowship with each other. Look to love on one another, family. We demonstrate our love for God by obeying His commands. Which of God's commands are you struggling with right now? Take that to God in prayer. Remember that His burden is light. That doesn't mean that obedience will always feel easy to us. Now we need to work at obedience, but, but when we love and rely on Him, we'll find that that obedience is not burdensome. We'll find that it will strengthen us to obey. We'll find that obedience is a joy. Let's also make sure that our motivation for obeying Him is love, not obligation. And we demonstrate our love for God when we hold fast to our faith in His Son. This world will persecute us. The Bible guarantees that. This world will mock us, it will shun us, it will push us away, but let's stand firm, believers. Let's not be shy about telling people about Jesus Christ when we leave this place. You are an overcomer in Christ Jesus, so let's hold fast our faith in Him to the very end. Here's the truth that I want us to understand this morning, church, it's this. A heart that loves God is going to be obvious even to those who don't love God. A heart that loves God is going to be obvious even to the ones who don't love Him. So let's each ask ourselves today and this week, how can I love God more? In what area am I struggling to love His people, to obey His commands, to stand firm in my faith? And church, let's prepare to praise Him for His love in one last song together. If you're here and Jesus Christ is not your Savior, please, please hear the words that John wrote. 
How do we become a child of God? How do we become an overcomer? It is by believing in Jesus Christ. Friend, nothing else you do will make you right in God's sight in this life. No amount of good works, coming to church, tithing, being generous with others. None of those things can save you. Baptism can't save you. Communion can't save you. Confession can't save you. None of those things are going to save you. Only Jesus Christ can save you. That's why Jesus died on the cross, to save us from the penalty of our sins. And He powerfully rose from the dead. And right now, Jesus stands in heaven waiting to forgive you of all your sins. Waiting to pardon you from the penalty of hell and to give you that eternal life that John talks about. The guarantee that when this life is over, we'll be forever with Him in heaven. And the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. If you have never done that, we want to give you the chance to do that before you leave. Let's pray together. Friend, if that's where you're at today, and you can't say that you know that you're a child of God, that you know that you've received eternal life, friend, don't leave that way. Maybe you've got questions. Maybe you want to see more about what the Bible says. Come and talk to me during this final song. Find me during the potluck and let's talk together. But maybe you're here and you know that you're not saved, you know that you don't have eternal life, and you're ready to make that decision to start following Jesus Christ. If that's where you're at, friend, you can follow me in a simple prayer like this one. And friend, if you go to the Lord in faith, I promise you on the authority of God's Word, He'll save your soul. You can pray something like this. Dear Jesus, I I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've broken your commands. But I know you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you rose from the dead. Jesus, today I'm laying all my sins at your feet. And I'm asking that you would forgive me of them. Jesus, today I'm turning my life over to you. I'm ready to follow you. I'm asking you to be the Savior and the Lord of my life. Father, I pray that if there's anybody here today who made that decision, they would share it with someone before they leave. Pray if there's anybody here today that still hasn't, they're unsure, they've got questions, I pray they'd be willing to come and talk to me about those questions. And Father, for those of us who have, who have put our faith in Jesus Christ, who can say with great confidence we've received that eternal life that you promise. I pray that each of us would ask ourselves before we leave today whether or not we truly love you. I pray that right now your spirit would be opening our eyes to any ways that we need to do a better job loving our family in Christ. To those sins and temptations that we struggle with, those commands of yours that we haven't been faithful to follow that you would convict us about whether or not we have stood firm in our faith in you. And that we would desire to be a people who can truly say, I love God with all my heart. Help us to be that church. Help us to be those people. Because, Father, we know that you love us. Help us to be a church that loves you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.